More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show, Thursday edition. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. We have got a lot to hit with you today. Let me give you a little roadmap of where we're headed. Uh, at 1230, we're going to be joined by Ryan Gorman from our WFLA affiliate down in Tampa. I broadcast from there a couple weeks ago. We want to get an update on exactly what happened with Adalia how much uh, uh, major issues are out there. Uh, We want to make sure we keep everyone apprised of what happened with that hurricane as continued aftermath cleanup has begun. Uh, Julie Kelly going to join us at 1 o'clock. She has been the best, I would say, anywhere in the media at covering the January 6th trials. Where are we? What does she think about the idea of a March 4th trial date in Washington, D.C. next year for Trump? And then at 2.30, uh, Ian Miller, who now writes at OutKick, I found him because he did such a fabulous job attacking from a data and analytics perspective the idea that your kids should be wearing masks, the idea that masks made sense anywhere. He continues to do phenomenal work. He lives in L.A., so he is on arguably the front lines of the masking insanity. Still, we will discuss all of that with him. That is where we are headed. Uh, but there are several stories that are out there that I think uh, deserve to be examined in some way. Uh, Governor Brian Kemp in Georgia. This is a mess, Buck, whether you whether anybody wants to admit it or not. The state of Georgia is a must win for Republicans. It is a red state, I still believe. Seven out of eight of the statewide elections in 2022 went to the Republican Party. Herschel Walker lost a narrow election to the Reverend Raphael Warnock. We saw Brian Kemp smoke Stacey Abrams. He wins by seven and a half percentage points. That was the margin of victory for most Republicans running statewide in Georgia. It was not particularly close. Right now, if you look at the betting odds, Republicans are substantial underdogs to win the state of Georgia in 2024, regardless of who the nominee is. Let me start hitting the alarm bell here. 
We cannot win the 2024 election without winning Georgia. So you can, you can look at Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan. Uh, you can look at all those states and try to come up with math. The Republicans are going to lose the 2024 election if Georgia is not back in the red team camp. And right now, it would not be. You see, Trump released, I don't know how many videos on Truth Social yesterday. We have some of them to share with the audience today. But, but he went on a Truth Social Trump video tirade. It was an avalanche of Trump. Uh, and one of them, was a whole video about how he won Georgia by so by so much and so clearly. Yeah. So I'm not sure what the strategy is. I just know that we're being told that he actually won Georgia in 2020. Okay. So this is important, Buck, because that's not true. Okay? Everybody out there listening to us right now, Trump lost Georgia. And if you don't believe Trump lost Georgia, what happened? That suddenly in 2022, everybody wins. Uh, the, the congressional candidates outperformed Trump. The Senate candidates, many of them outperformed Trump before the reelection, uh, the runoff. Georgia is a must win. And if your argument is I actually won in 2020, that makes it less likely that you are going to win, in my opinion, in 2024. This is a must-win state. This is the number one must-win state, I would say, Buck, because it should never have even been in contention, in my opinion, and it must be locked down if we're going to win in 24. Well, there's clearly a sensitivity in uh MAGA corridors about Georgia. I mean, Trump specifically... That's the one that I think more than any other has become an area of, uh, of political angst because it's not just the 2020 election. It's three Senate seats now as well. Three Senate seats that people yeah. tie to actions involving Trump. Whether you, you can agree or disagree with it, but the argument is, Herschel Walker was a Trump back candidate who lost when everybody else won. The two other candidates, um, what was it? Uh, Purdue Kelly and Loeffler and, 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 uh, Sonny Purdue, I believe. Yes. That, that they would have won if it hadn't been all the infighting after 2020. Now, again, you can agree or disagree with this, but it's a mess. Okay. It's a mess. We had three Senate seats that Republicans should have won and a presidential election in that state that Republicans should have won and it didn't happen. And if you're going to say, well, they cheated, put that aside for a second. Don't really want to get into that right in this moment in time. Well, then what's the plan the next time around? I, I just want to, I want to go on the record right now. Anyone who just tells you the next time around, whether it's a Senate seat, a presidential election or whatever, they cheated in Georgia again. I'm going to need them to show me what they're doing to stop the cheating or prove to me what the cheating is and not just claim that this is what happened there. Cause we have, yeah. it is a must win state. It's a must win for Republicans. And it's, it's a should win for Republicans as well, right? This isn't trying to pull something like Wisconsin. The numbers are tough for Republicans. Michigan, the numbers are tough for Republicans. Georgia should be a win. David Perdue, for people out there who have forgotten about this in the 2020 election, David Perdue won by almost two points. Now, this is a stupid law, my humble opinion, as always, that Georgia has that you have to get over 50 percent of the vote because 
libertarians came in and grabbed a percent or two. But uh, David Perdue beat John Ossoff in the 2020 election by nearly 100,000 votes. That's the Republican candidate. Uh, and then in the runoff, he ended up getting 220,000 less votes and lost a narrow vote to Ossoff, who then won uh, the uh, th- that seat. And then on the other side, I'm pulling that up right now because I want to uh, to remember exactly what happened. Was that they had the runoff right with Leffler and uh, and Warnock is the one that ended up winning that uh, winning that race. And so the whole thing was a mess. But if they didn't have that 50 percent line, every other Republican candidate would have won. So look. You can live in many different parts of the country and not pay attention to Georgia. This is a state I think I know pretty well. I've spent a lot of time down there. Trump's got issues in Georgia. And if you listen to this show, you know that I have said if if Trump were making the completely rational decision, he would go to Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, and say, you have done a hell of a job. You kicked everybody's ass. Remember, Trump endorsed against him in the uh in the Republican primary and Brian Kemp won by 50 points in the Republican primary. Let me repeat that for everybody out there. Donald Trump waded in to the 2022 Republican governor primary and Brian Kemp beat Trump's preferred candidate, I think it was Purdue, by 50 points, buck. 50 points. Trump is right now if you look at the uh at the betting markets and pay attention to them democrats are favored to win in 2024 in georgia this is a state where there are major issues if republicans lose georgia that's it fat lady sung there's almost no math that you can win the 2024 election if you lose georgia and certainly buck as you know georgia is connected to other states because if you lose georgia it probably means that north carolina is going to be close it probably means that arizona is going to we know going to be super close but the math doesn't add up you're not going to win in the midwest and lose georgia it just it i, I would be stunned beyond belief you can flag this and on november the 8th or whatever if it ends up happening some people can call in and say you were 100% wrong and i'll own it I don't see any pathway where you lose Georgia, win in the Midwest, and the math adds up to win the 2024 election. So this is a big mess for Republicans. I mean, you look at the numbers. Herschel Walker got 1.9 million votes in 2022. Warnock got um, 1.946. So won by about 40,000 votes, give or take. But Kemp got 2.1 million votes. And you look at the margin, he won comfortably against Stacey Abrams. Now, I understand there's an inclination to say, oh, but that's because Stacey Abrams was so bad. I'm sorry. I, I don't believe that it's likely that the uh, the way the ticket split here was that there are all these people who just decided they were going to vote, uh, you know, that basically if they had thought that Herschel Walker was a better candidate, there were plenty of Republicans that could have turned out and voted for him. We should have won that Senate seat. Yeah. It's the bottom line. We should have won the Senate seat, and we didn't win that Senate seat. And, uh, you know, I think this is why there's such a sensitivity um, around around Georgia. And I know that people are saying, well, we have to look at um, we have to look at what happened, look at the elections, look at everything else. All right. Well, 
show me exactly what the thing is that's going to be different this time around. Because if the claim is that there were some malfeasance, fine. Show me the malfeasance and tell me how we're going to avoid it this time around. And if you, if there's going to be five different people who are going to email me in the next 10 minutes with five different reasons of what the malfeasance is, that's a problem, everybody. Right? It's, it's, we got to all know what the one thing is if we're going to fix it or if it's a couple of things, but we have to agree on whatever it may be. And whether that's an election strategy issue, a messaging issue, a something with the machines, uh, something with the registration, something with whatever. We got to know what it is. We can't just all assume that it was, there was some malfeasance that we all, we all know there was, it was a problem. I mean, I saw the Trump video. Trump says he won by a lot. Yeah. That's the claim. That's as of yesterday. I would just okay. ask. In Someone tell me how we won by a lot. <laughs> yeah. In 2022, every Republican but Herschel won by seven and a half or eight points. Those are, that's winning by a lot. Brian Kemp won by a lot. What changed? And I do think Georgia, by the way, I think Kemp deserves credit for this. Georgia has strengthened their overall voting parameters. The, I think 2022 in Georgia was the safest and most secure election out there. I do think, and I've said this for a long time, that Democrats stretched and had a rigged election in many ways in 2020. Okay, My point on that is every other Republican still won in Georgia in 2020. I just hit you with the numbers on uh, Purdue won in the... Again, they have the rule that you have to get over 50% of the vote, which I think is a stupid rule. That's why they had the runoffs. But Purdue won by 100,000 votes roughly, over John Ossoff in the exact same election that Trump lost by 11,000. Why did Purdue get over 100,000 more votes than Trump? It's because Trump has got issues in Georgia. And continuing to say, I won Georgia by a lot, and not acknowledging that Brian Kemp is super popular and that he kicked Trump's preferred candidate's ass in the Republican primary, there are major issues here. And again, if you can't win Georgia, then the 2024 math doesn't add up. And right now, Republicans are an underdog in Georgia in the betting markets. And for people out there who say, I don't believe it, I okay, go put money down. You can win a lot of money back. You can bet on the prediction markets. Here we ha- Actually, we have Trump on this. He put this out on Truth Social. This is what we were uh, mentioning at the start here. It's clip 22. Play it. Oh, that's Kemp. I'm sorry. We'll come back to Trump here in just a moment. You can hear him talking about 2020. And, and you know, there's also a conversation to be had. You know, Trump's going to be the nominee, it looks like, right? I think we're all, that's why we're, we're, we're talking Trump's strategy to win now, folks. That's, that's really the underlying reality here. How do we get Trump to be able to win? Um, the focus on 2020, I don't know if you can make a case that's going to be particularly, uh, helpful in that state going forward i i'm but maybe that'll change maybe it'll change there must be times in your week when you wonder where the energy will be coming from when you're dead tired and have a workload in front of you that requires a little drive and direction you're likely to reach for caffeine in some form we all know what that's like but there's a smarter way to approach this and an everyday solution it comes from chalk and it's called the male vitality stack this set of all natural supplements fuels your body on an everyday basis The leading ingredient has been proven to replenish diminished amounts of testosterone in a guy's body. In three months' time, the increase can be up to 20%. In a world where most guys lose levels of testosterone in their bodies due to diet, stress, and aging, 
That increase will feel energizing and empowering. You'll have the energy and stamina to get through every day. Get set up now with Chalk Smell Vitality Stack. New quantities come to you every month. Their website is easy to remember, chalk.com. That's C-H-O-Q.com. Use my name, Buck, when you make your purchase and save 35% off any Chalk subscription for life. That's chalk, C-H-O-Q.com. Use Buck for 35% off. The supply chain of smarts, sanity, and truth. Uninterrupted. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go, like, how do I detach from my this idea of, what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know... Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Second hour of Clay and Buck kicks off right now. We are joined by Julie Kelly. She has a Substack you should all check out. Declassified. Julie Kelly on uh, Substack.com. Julie, uh, thanks for being here. Are you at the courthouse today for the trial of some J6, uh, J6 defendants, including the Proud Boys? Tell us the latest. What's going on? Hey, guys. So I just left the D.C. federal courthouse uh, where the first sentencing one of five sentencing for members of the Proud Boys, four of whom were convicted of seditious conspiracy by a D.C. jury. Uh, today, Judge Tim Kelly, Trump appointee, I think it's important to note, sentenced Joe Biggs to 17 years in prison for his convictions for seditious conspiracy, obstruction of an official proceeding, etc. 
But what's more important is that Judge Kelly added, went along with Joe Biden's DOJ, which is requesting terrorism enhancements for various crimes related to January 6th. And what Tim Kelly did today, he added tearing down part of a metal fence to the list of federal terrorism crimes. This is what is happening in Washington, D.C. I I can't believe what I'm seeing, what I've seen in this courthouse this week, and I've seen a lot already. But to codify Joe Biden's um, weaponization of DOJ, criminalization of political protests for someone like Joe Biggs, who didn't attack a police officer, he didn't bring a weapon in, um, he was with a bunch of rowdy proud boys who went in, and he walked inside the building twice, didn't attack anyone, didn't vandalize anything inside the Capitol, but because he and others were shaking part of the metal fence outside the Capitol, uh, Judge Kelly added the terror enhancement, which put 10 years, added 10 years to the base of the sentencing guidelines. Wait, wait, Julie, Julie, can you, can you just, I'm sorry, I just, how can shaking a fence be, I mean, I, I dealt with cases that had terrorism enhancements and it was usually like, you know, bringing an explosive onto the, trying to bring it onto the plane or something, right? It was for terrorism purposes. How can shaking a fence be terrorism? Like, what was the actual legal rationale there? Well, because the people, I think, who originally created terrorism laws thought that if they put something like destruction of government property in the statute, that serious judges and serious prosecutors would recognize that means exactly what you're saying trying to blow up a government building, you know, taking down government assets, causing a mass casualty event. I actually listened to an assistant U.S. attorney from the D.C. uh, U.S. attorney's office who was straining to compare a mass casualty event, someone shooting down an airliner, someone using a weapon of mass destruction to what happened on January 6th and the shaking of a metal fence in order to connect the two terrorism, uh, acts of terrorism. Um, Again, I'm sort of speechless because I just left there. I was expecting Judge Kelly to do that, but to hear them, you know, strain to compare a mass casualty event like 9-11, which we know judges have done, they just did it again this week, um, to four hours at the Capitol on January 6th, um, it's crazy. All right, um... Julie, you've been covering this, and give your Twitter handle for everybody out there if they want to follow you, because you've done a better job covering these January 6th cases and the political persecution surrounding them than anybody, I think, on the planet. What what are your social handles so people can follow you? Thanks so much. So my Twitter is Julie underscore Kelly 2. I'm a true social also, Julie underscore Kelly my substack, as you said, is declassified with Julie Kelly. Um, I'm getting a lot of transcripts and motions, as you guys know and see. Uh, I get those and I post them so people can read for themselves what the prosecutors and judges are saying in these cases. Um, and so uh, that that's where people can find me. And I'll be writing about not just what happened in this hearing today, but you also had a Democrat Obama judge yesterday brand a 61-year-old grandmother from Florida, a domestic terrorist, added uh, said that the t- terrorism enhancement was appropriate in her case. She was in the Capitol for 18 minutes, again, committed no violent crime, didn't try to blow up a building, didn't try to kill police officers. Um, so they are, as I wrote in my book, they are using January 6th to launch a war on terror against all of us. And that's precisely what they're doing, and they're expanding it in scope. 
and setting a very dangerous precedent for the future. Um, again, you've done a fabulous job covering all of this, and I just want to make sure that everybody out there understands they're elevating grandmas to terrorists while simultaneously lowering serious felony violent charges that are being prosecuted inside the Washington, D.C., Against almost everyone else. So it's not just that they're like, if they were just aggressively prosecuting every, uh, alleged right. violent felon, people might say, okay, that's just a hard edge prosecutor. They're actually tossing virtually every other serious felony charge that they can down to a misdemeanor while trying to put grandmas in prison for substantial time. Uh, now, Julie, I want to, you've covered the Trump stuff very well. You've predicted with us for years now on this show exactly where we're headed. Can you contextualize for our audience how outlandish it is for a March 4th trial date to be given for Donald Trump relative to what the usual amount of time people have had to prepare is for these January 6th cases based on all the ones that you have covered? I think a usual timeline is 18 to 24 months. Suddenly Trump gets charged in August and is supposed to be on trial by March there's no precedent for that, right? There absolutely isn't. And I would direct people to my Substack. I just also purchased and posted the entire transcript from Monday's hearing. You have to read what Judge Tanya Chutkin was saying in court to justify her, what they call rocket docket, her fast track uh, for this case, among other things, claiming that Donald Trump's attorneys, who he hadn't hired yet, should have been working on this case a year ago when the government, DOJ, announced they had impaneled a grand jury for January 6th. She also, by the way, compared January 6th to 9-11. Um, but the reason why it's consequential, of course, and I go back to the Proud Boys case, they are making this tie between what the government, DOJ, and the, and the judges are now calling an act of domestic terror, tying that to Donald Trump. So that is, and the reason why she wants to step ahead of, say, what's happening in southern Florida, that trial is scheduled for May, Tanya Chuckin wants to butt in and take over first and get the first federal indictment, because, of course, it's in Washington, D.C. It's a no-brainer. Um, so I think that that's part of DOJ and, uh, and the judge's calculation is to get a quick hit, quick conviction on these four counts. Um, but I still think there's going to be more charges. The grand jury is still impaneled in Washington, D.C. for January 6th. This isn't over to me by a long shot. Um, so I wouldn't I fully expect more charges from Jack Smith against Donald Trump. Julie, which of these four criminal trials do you find the most legally precarious for Trump at this stage? You mean pose like the greatest risk to him? Yeah, in terms in terms of prosecution, I mean, or uh, conviction, I mean. I mean, I'd have to go with the January sixth election case yeah. here in Washington D.C. I mean, look, DOJ has an almost near perfect conviction record. Um, and to your point about the trials, the average trial is about fourteen months from arrest, indictment to trial. The Proud Boys trial was almost two years between original indictments. They kept superseding it and dragging it out, adding charges and defendants. But those men were starting to be arrested in January and February, and they didn't go to trial till this past January. So for her to suggest that seven months that she's giving Donald Trump some sort of break 
uh, is preposterous because that just is not the historical case with January 6th trial. Is there any way that this could be further? I mean, I thought all along the judge that she was going to do this. Glenn, and I have been talking about this, that she wasn't going to try to let them wait till after the election because we all know that the Democrats are afraid Trump might win and then he'll just make the charges go away. Um, the process to extend it, if it doesn't go through the judge, what, you'd have to have an appeals court that would hear it and that they would make that determination? But is that likely? I mean, basically, do you think the J6 D.C. trial looks now like it is going to happen before the election? I've always thought no, um, but seeing how Tanya Chutkin has conducted herself in these hearings, there is a possibility now that maybe they won't add charges, that they're just going to go forward with these four counts, obstruction and then three conspiracy charges, and, you know, go from there. There's real pitfalls to that, though. The obstruction count is now pending before the Supreme Court, and if the Supreme Court decides to take up the obstruction count and the conspiracy to obstruct, that um, DOJ that Jack Smith charged Donald Trump with, if they take that up at the end of October, I think you're going to have to see some recalculation, recalibration from special counsel Jack Smith. Those counts are not a sure thing. So um, that's why I still think that they might add counts. But if he does go to trial, let's say he does go to trial in March, you get a quick conviction, right, a month later. Then his sentencing hearing is, say, three months out from there. So you're in the summer of 2024. You can't appeal until a sentence is handed down. So there's no way really to appeal his conviction until your sentence. That's the usual way how it goes in federal courts. Now, there can be some other um, appeals, I, you know, certainly motions that, the, that his defense team are planning to file, not the least of which is selective prosecution uh, and move to dismiss these counts. Um, but it doesn't, you know, not something Tanya Chutkin on her own is going to entertain. Nope. So, yes, if you're asking if it's feasible that this could go to trial and he could be sentenced and taken into custody before November 2024 with this case, yes, if they don't that's, bring more That's the question yes. I wanted to ask you, Julie. You've been there for – so for people out there who aren't aware, there would be a trial. Let's say the trial – let's pretend that the government gets exactly what they want now, basically, which is this trial starts March 4th. Let's say that it takes two months, uh, which is, I, I don't think, crazy to think it might take two months. And let's say sometime in May, a jury that is not, as you have pointed out, Julie Kelly, of Donald Trump's peers. It's a 95% or whatever it is, uh, D.C. jury that's likely to convict Trump on everything because uh, they are dyed-in-the-wool Democrat activists, right? Mm-hmm. So then they right. come back, uh, let's say the conviction happens in May. Uh, to your point, they, they come back and let's say it's August and they, uh, enter in, uh, the official sentence. Have you seen everybody taken out in handcuffs at that point? I'm not familiar with what happens at the sentencing hearings. Like, it would, would they then theoretically take Trump and try to put him in prison in August, uh, or, you know, September or something a couple of months before an actual election with him as potentially the Republican nominee. I'm just trying to play this out in the event that it happened based on what you have seen of these Jan 6 cases so far. They could ask the judge at that point when he is sentenced to immediately take Donald Trump into custody. They could, the DOJ and Jack Smith's office definitely could ask for that. I've seen that done. It just happened this week with the conviction of five pro-lifers who were convicted by a D.C. jury of violating the FACE Act. 
and the Clinton appointed judge took remanded them into immediate custody before they as they were uh, sentenced. So yes, that could possibly happen again. I wouldn't put anything past Jack Smith. And, and at this that is point. just uh, they could give him home off. confinement too. Just to point that that's also a possibility, I believe. So that would yeah, make well, it the whole thing is easier. crazy to think because I mean the Secret Service would theoretically have to accompany Trump into any custody, right? Because they're well, not they going to shut down. Him. They would shut down probably part of a. Facility, and this is—it I mean, sounds this is insane all. as we're talking about this, but I think they'd have to <laughs> shut down a part of a facility, yeah. and they would have to do perimeter security while he was in a cell. Well, right? I, I mean, this is insane. Secret Service. I think they have yes. to accommodate the Secret Service agents, agents as well. Um, so, <laughs> yes, but I mean, we're so far past. We have so crossed the Rubicon here that anyone who thinks that that's too absurd, too outlandish, too unrealistic, take it from me. After watching these judges and line prosecutors in action, um, there is nothing they won't do to punish Donald Trump's supporters and ultimately get at the big prize, which is Donald Trump himself. Julie Kelly, everybody, uh, declassified on Substack. Subscribe to it. Julie, as always, thank you for the work you do. We'll be talking to you again soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Remember the scene in uh, Goodfellas where he's like, wise guys do prison different. And he's like slicing up the garlic really thin so he can put it in the sauce. And they had a, it'd be a little bit like that. We got to talk more about this because I just don't think, I just don't think anybody has really thought through. I I wish I could curse on the air right now because there's so many different curse words to sum this up, but it is so bonkers to even think about what is currently taking place that I don't think anybody has even played it out in their head. Given that these are entirely, Trump is facing entirely non-obviously, non-violent crimes, um, and and he would be a first-time offender, certainly after the first conviction, I think under the federal guidelines and given his age, and not even taking into account the fact that he's the former president and could be the future president, um, a uh, basically a home confinement sentence could be, which... Wouldn't that be interesting, right? Basically grounding him in Mar-a-Lago during the campaign as a matter of law and saying this is what the law requires, right? I mean, I know it's crazy, but we're in crazy town, everybody. Hop on in. Legit insane. Yeah. Are you on a fixed income? If so, you may be interested in an investment that delivers consistent returns without compromising your financial security. Phoenix Capital Group offers high-yield corporate bonds with returns of 9 to 12% annual interest that pays out monthly. With 2,000-plus satisfied investors paid on time every time, Phoenix Capital Group is giving investors a new high-yield option investing in domestic energy assets. Start earning these high yields and learn more about multiple offerings today at phxonair.com. Learn more by downloading the free investment packet today at phxonair.com. You can diversify your investments and earn 9 to 12% annual interest. Investment bonds have a certain amount of risk associated with it, and you should only invest if you can afford to bear the risk of loss. Before making investment decisions, you should carefully consider and review all risks involved. Visit phxonair.com today. Truth after truth, you can handle the truth. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. Welcome back in. Hour number three, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us as we roll through the Thursday edition of the program. Uh, we're going to be joined by Ian Miller, one of the best at analyzing why all of this masking BS was filled with so many lies. 
Uh, he now writes at OutKick, but I found him online as one of the few truth tellers during the COVID lockdowns and everything else. There is now, and I think we're going to be joined by Alex Berenson tomorrow, right, Buck? Uh, there is uh, now increasing movement to try to bring back some of the COVID restrictions. And also, according to Alex Berenson, who I will point out, has been months ahead of the general consensus when it comes to analyzing data. Alex Berenson says there's very alarming data about what the COVID shot did for young children who got it. Uh, we're going to talk about that with him tomorrow. Um, and uh, again, we're going to talk with Ian Miller at the bottom of this hour. But, Buck, a couple of different stories that are out there that we still haven't uh, dove into fully. One absolute attack on Vivek Ramaswamy on the editorial page of the Wall Street Journal today uh, by Carl Rove, Vivek Ramaswamy performance artist. And we can get into some of those uh, attacks and why Vivek is getting attacked as he is. But also, our good friend Keith Olbermann, who is an imbecile of the left, even for left-wingers, I think some of them are like, man, this Olbermann guy's completely lost his marbles. He, he, he often, was, if you look at his Twitter, yeah. it looks like he needs a wellness check on a regular basis. <laughs> like someone has to go check up on him and see how he's doing or something, you know, in a position of authority, because he's completely, completely lost his marbles. So he tweeted, I saw this late last night as I was getting ready for bed. He loves you, by the way. I don't uh, know, I, I think he loves you even more than he loves me. He loves you. Olbermann comes, has he tweeted back? I, it's hard for me to keep back up. Back at me tweeted, back in the day? A little bit, yeah, but nothing. He I mean, comes after me sort of a sad. lot. He used to be, let me just say this. I used to eat my breakfast every morning, Buck. I'd eat my cereals, I'd eat my Eggo waffles, and I would be sitting there watching Sports Center back in the day with he and Dan Patrick. They had one of the best sports shows maybe ever. Everybody watched that Sports Center show. He was funny. He and Dan Patrick were great. He's truly insane now. And he tweeted at our friend Riley Gaines, um, who has been fighting for, just let's make it clear here, fighting for women's sports to be made up of women, which I can't believe this is Radical actually stuff. a battleground. Crazy that this is going on these days. She swam against Will Thomas, who changed his name to Leah Thomas and decided that he was a chick and became an NCAA champion swimmer. This all happened. And she did not choose to swim against him. She would otherwise be right now in veterinary, uh, sorry, dental school. Um, Keith Olbermann tweeted to her, can you just address the reality and move past it? You sucked at swimming. That's why you lost. Now, Riley Gaines is an NCAA champion record holder in different aspects of swimming. Um, and... This is now what the left orthodoxy requires. Keith Olbermann, what is he, like 60? 60-year-old leftist Keith Olbermann is now picking fights with Riley Gaines because she is fighting for women's sports to be made up of women, and he's picking a fight with her by saying, you, a scholarship swimmer, swimmer meaning she's super yeah. talented, one of the best swimmers in all of college athletics, that she sucked, and that's why she lost to a dude. By the way, she tied a dude. But this is where Keith Olbermann is, and this is where a lot of leftists are, that you would be now attacking female athletes for saying, 
hey, we just want athletics to be made up of women. It's actually uh, understandable from their position because ad hominem is all they have. Attacking individuals who speak the truth about this because the argument that, that the Obermans and the left in general make on the issue of gender in sports is so weak. I mean, never mind the fact that Riley could turn around and be like, Keith looks like he might have a problem with a rigorous like water aerobics class or something. I mean, he is not a specimen himself, but to, to go after, yeah, to go after for a guy who used to comment on sports, it doesn't look like Keith Olbermann ever played any sports. But you look at this and you understand, I think, very quickly, there's no um, there's no way for them to make the case that they know the left demands they make. So attacking people who speak the truth is the only option that remains uh, open to them. So it's not surprising. And, and this is also why you see the arguments in favor of women competing in men. Uh, sorry, men competing in women's. It's, it's never the other thing. Like if a woman really wants to try out for the NFL because she's decided she's a guy now, good luck with that one. You know, I, I don't. I don't think we're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of cornerbacks or uh, defensive linemen who formerly or, or still actually have XX chromosome. And you know, I, I don't think you're going to see that anytime. So. When when you see though the way they always argue about this stuff, it's a version of they attack the person who's saying the things that are true that they don't like, or they turn it into, well, why do you why are you so focused on this? That's the other one. You know, why yeah. does this why does this bother you so much? Right? Which to me is a little bit of a reminder of I was on a plane recently and someone was really like it was a full grown man who had an extra seat next to him and he kept trying to sleep like curl up in a fetal position. And he would fall and like kick my seat to the point where a couple of times, and I could tell this woman kind of gave me this look at one point because I kept looking back at him and it's like, I was just waiting for her to do the like, is it really that big a deal? Yes, actually. <laughs> yes, it is. And the same thing is true of transgender ideology in sports. Is it that big a deal that you're going to steal a gold medal from somebody who's been in a swimming pool working as hard as she can from age four? Yeah, it's a big deal. And it's happening everywhere. And for everybody out there who dismisses it, it's amazing how often it ends up happening in your school district or in your kid's high school, and it's going to happen increasingly. And this is what happens if you deign to speak truth to them, and this is why so many athletes are afraid, is because they're going to be the target. And that's why I think Riley's story is so compelling. The only reason she's doing this is because of the choice Leah Thomas made. So Riley could suck it up and say nothing, and she could have gone on to dental school, and she likely would have been a fabulous dentist. I know Riley a little bit. She's doing a podcast with OutKick. She was on our show Sunday night. And think about where we are that the party that claims that it cares about women is now very comfortable with guys like Keith Olbermann taking random attacks at Riley Gaines and saying you suck as a swimmer when she's one of the best at swimming in all of women's college athletics. Well, right. It's not even like she failed to qualify for the meet or which still she could be an exceptional swimmer. It's not even like she was D3 and couldn't swim D1. She's pretty much the best in her event in the, well, actually was the best in her event in the country as a woman. Um, but it's a stupid argument from a man who doesn't feel the need to put any intellect into what he does anymore it's all just bile it's just venting spleen while he's you know 
doing whatever Keith Olbermann does these days. Not a nice guy, by the way. Very bad reputation, even among libs in the media. This is, by the way, to Riley's point, exactly how good she was. Um, apparently holding the Southeastern Conference record and being one of the fastest Americans of all time in the 200 butterfly is amateur. This is what she tweeted to me last night. I broke that record, taking a shot at me here, at that obnoxiously orange school you happen to like. She went to the University of Kentucky. I am a University of Tennessee fan, so she is taking a shot at my school there in a funny way. Uh, she broke the record there, but she literally is one of the best swimmers who has ever existed in the Southeastern Conference, which is, I think, humbly, the best sports conference in America. Now, you think that that talking about Georgia was controversial. I'm going to get deluged. By the way, I'm getting tagged for you saying that you were both an Alabama and an Auburn fan in hour one, and people are fed up with your attempt to, to, to be a War Eagle and a Roll Tide fan simultaneously. I try to bring the sides together. Georgia, I'm trying to keep everybody on the team here. I'm getting lit up for you trying to claim that you can take both sides of one of the most uh, uh, intense rivalries in all of sports. This is like being a Red Sox and a Yankees fan simultaneously, which Barack Obama probably pan, uh, uh, promised to be at some point in time because it sounds like something he would have said. But this uh, this also ties in. Do we have time? What do we got? I want to, I want to set the table for this too, Buck, cause you read this article too, cause I mentioned it. I, Vivek, sure I mean, the Vivek thing that, that, look, Carl Rove is for many, I think, the quintessential representation of establishment Republican political consultant right now. I don't, I, I would ask anyone who would be the other name that you would put up against him as the quintessential GOP establishment machine guy. And man, did he go after Vivek Ramaswamy. He went after Vivek so much that I think it will do nothing but probably help Vivek. We'll talk about this in a moment, but I want you to out there to listen to me read the opening paragraph here. This is what Carl Rove in today's editorial page of the Wall Street Journal says about Vivek Ramaswamy. A particularly low point of last week's GOP presidential debate came at around the 39-minute mark, and here, get ready, when an unusually glib, shallow, overbearing, smooth-talking biotech entrepreneur proclaimed himself, quote, the only person on the stage who isn't bought and paid for, that's when most Americans and most Republicans got their first real look at Vivek Ramaswamy. Glib, shallow, overbearing, smooth-talking shots. The whole column is an attack on Vivek Ramaswamy. Why? What is the impact? Buck and I will discuss that with you when we come back in a couple of moments. But first, I want to tell you all about my friends at Tunnel to Towers. You know, I'm headed up to New York in October to help raise money for them at one of their big charity events. They do phenomenal work. But you know that more than 38,000 U.S. veterans are experiencing homelessness across our nation? These are heroes who signed up to protect and serve, and now they're sleeping on our nation's streets. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation is committed to helping these heroes who have sacrificed so much for our country, our freedoms, and for us. Veterans who honorably served our nation deserve our gratitude. If you or someone you know is a veteran who is homeless or at risk of homelessness, Complete the Foundation's inquiry form at T2T.org. 
More than 38,000 heroes who put their lives on the line for us need your help. You can help by donating $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Making sense in an insane world. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. Welcome back. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go, like, how do I detach from my this idea of, what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know... Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Again, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton show. Couple of things. Trump pled not guilty, waived his right to appear at his arraignment in Georgia, as we have talked uh, a great deal about the situation in Georgia. Uh, so that story is out there. Also, uh, I want to hit this as we get ready for Ian Miller. Yesterday, we discussed Mitch McConnell freezing again uh, during a event in the state of Kentucky. The physician... Uh, Brian Monahan of the Capitol just put out this statement. I have consulted with Leader McConnell and conferred with his neurology team. After evaluating yesterday's incident, I have informed Leader McConnell he is medically clear to continue with his schedule as planned. Occasional lightheadedness is not uncommon in concussion recovery and can also be expected as a result of dehydration, again, Brian Monahan, who is a capital physician, giving a clean bill of health to 81-year-old Mitch McConnell. 
We bring in now, which I think many of you out there question based on the videos that you and we have all seen, uh, but we bring in now Ian uh, Miller, who has done fabulous work at ENMSC uh, on Twitter. He's been putting out graphs for years now, analyzing masking and how ineffective it is. He writes at OutKick now. I was going to say, Ian's mask graphics, when I was doing five hours of radio a day by myself in my apartment under lockdown in New York City, raging about the stupidity of masks. Ian, your your graphs kept me safe and warm. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm glad to know uh, glad to know they were so helpful. I would have gone crazy if I had had to live like Buck was living in New York City. I'm I'm not. I really legitimately think I would have gone crazy. I'm glad I lived in a red state. You live, I believe, Ian, in L.A., correct, or the L.A. area. What's going to happen with yeah. masking? You went through this. You've written about it, data analyzed it. Where is this all headed as tomorrow we officially enter into September and everybody out there knows cold and flu season every year happens in the fall, winter as people spend more time indoors. So this certainly with COVID and everything else is bound to increase. What's going to happen in your mind? Yeah, well, I think a lot of us were really worried about what was going to happen down the road after experts and, and you know, the CDC and Fauci and all these other politicians kind of committed to saying that masks were effective against respiratory viruses, despite overwhelming evidence and all the graphs that I've done. But there's a lot of other work out there that, that's proved this over time, including by the CDC and the World Health Organization. But once they committed down that path, there was no way for them to get out of it. And we're seeing it now where you, you have the media and you have these expert organizations saying, oh, we need to bring back masks. There's a new COVID variant. Um, as we get into respiratory virus season in the winter, as these cases go up, I'm very worried in L.A. Uh, you know, just one quick example, the Lionsgate story where this, this major Hollywood studio reinstated mask mandates, they came out and put out a statement saying that they didn't do it. L.A. County Public Health told them they had to because there was an outbreak of COVID cases. So if L.A. County Public Health is already doing this at individual businesses, you know, how much worse is it going to get as, you know, COVID numbers probably increase here into the fall and the winter? I'm very concerned that we might see some of these policies come back to some extent. Well, do we have some some gold standard real studies specifically that have been done in, let's say, the last six to 12 months that just show people what they should have known all along? But, you know, the, the, for the left, this is a religious belief now. I mean, masking is a religious belief. But do we have anything Ian, you point people to that just says, go look at the such and such study. This stuff, masking, does not work Really at all. I mean, it's statistically effectively zero. Right. Yeah, there's the the Cochrane Library, which is kind of considered to be the gold standard of of evidence reviews, where they take they just take the highest quality evidence. Usually it's, usually it's randomized controlled trials. They examine what the data shows, and then they, they release a conclusion. They did this, I, I want to say maybe six months ago or so, on masking to stop respiratory viruses, and they found that all the available high-quality evidence showed that they did not stop respiratory virus transmission. I mean, that should have been, there's been 25 times where it should have been the end of masks permanently. But if anything was going to do it, for all these people that claim to be following the science and following the evidence, that should have been it. It should have been over. But it can never be over because it's not really actually about the science and the evidence, right? It's about doing whatever's politically expedient at the time. But there is this Cochrane Library review. I wrote about it for Outkick. I've, I've mentioned it in, in the you know books and other work I've done. It's We've known this for a while. They did this review in 2020, and it said the same thing. Nothing has changed. Masks never worked, and there's no evidence that's changed that over the last couple of years. Ian, 
what we saw happen a lot over the last several years is there was almost a race uh, for everybody to reinstitute mandates, right? It was like a left-wing race. And so you would see a city like Philadelphia or a city like Washington, D.C. or L.A. or New York City, a place that is only run by left-wing politicians, one of them makes that decision, and then you would see everybody else rush to follow. L.A. has been one of those cities in the past. I know we're just sitting here on August 31st, but do you think a city will reinstitute a mask mandate? Will they try? And if they do, will it work? Right. I think that's, I mean, that's the question we're all wondering. I, I would say if there is a city that's going to do it, L.A. would probably be the one. Uh, you know, last summer they tried to do it in July, just over a small increase in COVID cases. And there was immense pushback and they, they kind of backed down. But, you know, they were sending out guidelines preparing agencies to enforce another mask mandate. Um, I don't see why that would change now. It's do you? It's just, yeah, that's important. You live in L.A. Do you think enough people in the L.A. area, certainly in Orange County, I think it's happened, for people who don't know L.A. well, Orange County to the south tends to vote more Republican, certainly, than L.A. County. But do you think enough people in L.A. have finally gotten and realized that masking doesn't work, or do you think they would just meekly acquiesce and masks would sprout up everywhere all over again? I think that there's still enough people that would comply with it, that it would be, it would be followed here in, in LA. I think that the, you know, we saw that. I thought it would have been over long ago that people would stop complying, but there really isn't a, an end to compliance. If there is a mandate in place, people will follow it. I do think the percentage of people who don't want a mask anymore or who have admitted that it doesn't work has grown over time, even in places like LA and DC and San Francisco, but it's still too high among the left because they, they can't admit that they were wrong. You know, they don't want to acknowledge that they made these mistakes and that the authority figures that they followed misled them for two or three years. You know, that's, that's not an acceptable solution for them. So I'm worried that there are still enough people that it would be followed. It would be enforced across, across places like LA. Yeah. Like I said, Orange County, San Diego, not necessarily, but LA, San Francisco, those kinds of cities, I could definitely see it coming back. And if, even if it's not a general mandate, you know, it could go back into healthcare settings or on public transit, which is limited, but still bad enough and really, you know, hurts a lot of people, uh, even in those fields. So I'm, I'm definitely worried about that. Ian, if you decide to triple mask in response to <laughs> LA's possible mask mandate, will you promise us you'll take video of you walking around telling Los Angelinos who only have one or perhaps two masks that they're upsetting you? You're literally shaking right now because they don't take the virus seriously. <laughs> I love that idea. I think it's a great uh, comedic bit of men on the street, just me walking around with three masks. They're, they're double duct taped to my face, <laughs> telling people that they're uh, they're not doing enough to stop. I, I guarantee you, if you walked around, around and this would be true in New York as well, if you walked around with a cloth mask with an N95 on top and a cloth mask on top of that, and you went up to people and said in those places, this is the safest way to be, you would convince people to triple mask. I promise you. It, it, there's, there's no oh, doubt. I, I would put money on this. I 100% believe that. It's it's really become a, like you said, it's become a religion. It's it's very frustrating to see it. Go check out Ian's work at Outkick.com. Clay has one more thing for you. Yeah, one quick question, maybe the most important so far. You're in L.A. You're a big Dodgers fan. Are you willing to acknowledge that the Atlanta Braves are the best and most superior team in all of baseball this year? <laughs> I, I'm, I won't acknowledge it. On the record, but off the record, maybe we'll have that conversation. No, they, the Braves are incredible this year. The offense is, is like 
one of the best I've ever seen. I'm, I really, uh, I've been already talking about avoiding them in the playoffs if we get that far. So hopefully, hopefully they can get out in the NLDS. We don't have to worry about it. Ian, go check out his work at outkick.com. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you very much for having me. Cell phones need replacement every now and then. No matter how indestructible they try to make cell phones, they will break eventually. If you need to change out your cell phone, listen to the offer from our friends at Pure Talk. Upgrade to a new 5G Samsung Galaxy phone from Pure Talk for free when you make the switch to them from your cell phone carrier. Get a free 5G Samsung Galaxy with two-day battery life, edge-to-edge display, and ultra-strong glass. When you sign up for Pure Talk's unlimited talk, text, and 15-gigabyte data plan for just 35 bucks a month. Plus, it comes with mobile hotspot. Get all the data you could ever need for half the price of the big carriers on America's most dependable 5G network. Make the switch to Pure Talk today. Their customer service team is standing by. Just dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck for your free, super durable 5G Samsung Galaxy when you switch to Pure Talk. Again, dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck. Pure Talk, simply smarter wireless. Don't miss a minute of Clay and Buck and get behind-the-scene access to special content for members only. Subscribe to CNB 24-7. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.